You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number 11. Generations. Two photographs taken 84 years apart. The first shows my father as a baby with his great-grandmother Rivka and his youngest uncle Julius. The second shows Dad holding his new grandson Felix. John Tyler stands with James Buchanan and Millard Fillmore as one of the less-remembered US presidents. Maybe his home state of Virginia has a few schools and public buildings named after him, but we shouldn't count on ever seeing his face added to Mount Rushmore. Historians view his time in office as at best uneventful and at worst incompetent. And like many incompetent presidents since, he served only one term before losing to the equally forgettable James Polk. In fact, the only remarkable thing about John Tyler, elected in 1841 at the age of 50, is that at the time of recording this, one of his grandchildren is still alive. Harrison Ruffin Tyler was born in 1928 and now provides a huge living generational link with the past. But is this so unusual? If you were aged over 50, the chances are that you probably knew someone who fought in the Great War. And it's likely that they knew someone who fought in Crimea, who in turn knew someone who fought against Napoleon. A couple more steps and we're in the English Civil War. A mere 20 generations back from that and we're witnessing the Battle of Hastings. History is closer than we think. A few years after Avrom and Shandle, my great-grandparents, settled in Britain, news came from Odessa that Avrom's father died and that his mother Rivka was now a widow. After letters back and forth, the family decided that Rivka now in her sixties, should come to Britain and live with her son's family. With four, later five, young children, this was a godsend. For having a grandma to look after the kids freed her daughter-in-law Shandle to find work and put much-needed food and money on the table. Rivka enjoyed her new life in the UK and doted on her grandchildren. She never properly mastered English, but this was the East End over a century ago, where the streets reverberated to her native Yiddish in much the same way as they reverberate to Bengali or Somali today. She took to her new life in London well, enjoying the bustle of Hessel Street and Watley Street markets, with the same sounds and smells of Odessa, but without the threat of marauding Cossacks or Tsarist pogroms. Every Sunday afternoon, she took her grandchildren to the local cinema. Silent films presented no language barrier, and even if the subtitles proved too involved, there was always a handy grandson or granddaughter to translate. Even better, she adored watching live drama at one of the many Yiddish theatres then filmed in the East End. My grandmother once told me about accompanying Rivka to watch a Yiddish production of Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice, it must have been a very free translation, because Shylock, one of Shakespeare's great villains, now found himself remodelled as a heroic victim of Venetian anti-Semitism. Meeting his downfall at the hands of decadent Gentiles in league with his treacherous daughter Jessica, with grace and dignity. His Rialto speech, 
the one with, if you prick us, do we not bleed, had the audience in tears. Rivka witnessed the arrival of her first great-grandchild, my father Paul, in 1925. A few months later, along with her great-grandson Julius, they sat for a photo at Boris Bennett's studio on Whitechapel Road. Eighty-four years after this photo was taken, I surprised and delighted Dad when at fifty I became a very old father myself. Which brings me to the second photo, showing Dad holding his youngest grandson Felix for the first time on the 29th of December 2009. Rivka died in 1937, three years short of her hundredth birthday. To put this in context, Rivka shared her birth, 1840, with Emil Zola, Thomas Hardy and Peter Tchaikovsky, the year that saw Franz Liszt make his concert debut and the introduction of the Penny Post. 169 years later, Felix's birth year gave us Lady Gaga, Pointless, Avatar and Bitcoin. And in both photos, connecting Rivka and Felix across six generations, sits my father. Looking at the two photos side by side, I can't help noticing the stiff nature of the older photo compared with the informality of the recent one. Rivka is all in black, the standard attire for a widow in her best clothes. My great-uncle Julius, aged nine, is in the suit with short trousers he no doubt wore for Saturday best. He has taken the trouble to polish his shoes and pull his socks up, but his tie is slightly askew. My dad, in a baby's nightgown, looks as aware of his surrounding as babies usually are at a few months old. But at least he's facing in the right direction. In the more recent photo, my dad is now around the same age as Rivka in the Whitechapel portrait, wearing the John Lewis casuals that marks him out since retirement. It's a joyful picture, but it needs saying one tinged with sadness, because Felix was born just seven months after his grandma Carrie passed away. A grandma who I just know would have loved him to bits. Having a new grandson to dote on became central to Dad's life. Whenever we visited Dad, he was quick to suggest that my wife Anita and I go out on our own for a while and leave him for some quality Felix time. And like all parents, we seized on the opportunity to sit in a pub and be ourselves for a while. Dad passed away in September 2012. Today I asked Felix how much, if anything, he remembers of his grandpa. He recalls Dad giving him chocolate when his parents weren't looking, and he remembers hearing him sing the galloping major, bumpity 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 bump, while bouncing on his knee. A few sketchy but fond recollections by a 13-year-old boy of a man who knew a woman born in the year Victoria married Albert. That was Generations, written and recorded by Matthew Diamond. If you enjoyed this story, then don't forget to hit like and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll see you next time.